on, on any given day, in any given moment, my feelings are all over the map. And these days, trust me, they're all over the map. In one moment, Jillian can come up to me and give me a big hug and tell me, Daddy, I love you. And I've got those warm, fuzzy parent feelings. You know, I'm thinking, oh, I'm so glad I had kids. And then later on in the day, the kids can be fighting, bickering, sniping at each other. And I feel anger and frustration. And I have those feelings of, boy, I stink as a parent. How come my kids can't treat each other the way Jesus would want them to treat each other? What am I, you know, doing wrong? The same kinds of random all-over-the-map feelings happen in my work. Uh, when I'm working at Asbury University and I'm, and I'm giving a lecture and my students are totally engaged and they're asking questions and they're like, oh, this is great. I'm making connections about church. And I'm so excited. Thank you. And I feel satisfied. I'm like, yes, they're learning. Oh! nirvana, okay? And then there are moments when uh, they raise a question or a student after class will be like, I, you know, I didn't get really anything. Is there a point to the reading? You know, something along this, and I'm like, you know, and initially, I just want to, you're here because you don't know what you need to know, and I'm here to tell you what you need to know, and no, no. And then the feelings of, well, I stink as a teacher. I can't do that well. Feelings are all over the map. I want to share a couple of things about feelings. One is, it's very, very difficult, if not impossible, to control your feelings. Go ahead, try it. I dare you. Those of us who are internalizers can tell you, you can stuff them down, but they come back up. You can't control. I mean, and the reason you can't control feelings is because feelings come upon you with such speed and intensity, and they come often out of nowhere. Anger, joy, you know, boom. It's all, you, you cannot control feelings. You can control what you do with those feelings, but you can't control the feelings themselves. The second thing I want to share about feelings is this. Often, often, not always, often feelings are actually tied to thoughts, thoughts that are under the radar, thoughts that are not necessarily something you're conscious of. And here's some ways it plays out. I've known single people who felt and had intense feelings of loneliness. They just felt lonely. And when you start to peel away the layers all of a sudden you reveal this idea, this thought that kept turning over and over in their heads. And that thought is, nobody's ever going to love me. And because that thought was there, it fueled these intense feelings of loneliness. I've known adults who felt trapped. They felt trapped in their marriage. They felt trapped in their job. They felt trapped in debt. And when you started to peel away the layers and started to look under the hood, you realized, oh, this adult feels like God's not going to go to bat for them. They can't count on God. God will help other people, just not them. And there it is. There's a thought that's fueling those feelings. I've known people who felt insecure. They felt insecure. They, they felt on the inside, I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. But what they projected was this bravado, larger than life, I'm better than you kind of cocky personality. But on the inside, it was because they knew I'm not smart enough. I'm not talented enough. And it was just a projection. But that thought fueled those feelings. If you want to flourish, if you want to flourish you're going to have to reprogram some of the thoughts that are in your thinker. It's, it's part of the pathway of really living and really flourishing. Uh, John Ortberg puts it this way. He says, the, it's our underlying thoughts that explain the difference between dogs and cats. So you thought I was going to say something profound, didn't you? But it, did you have my picture up there, Mr. Potter? I, I want to show you. I want to talk about the difference between dogs and cats and how thoughts shape your feelings and shape your mindset in the path that you're on, okay? Here's Lucky the dog. 
Lucky the dog's day works like this. It's 8 o'clock in the morning. I got to go outside and pee. I got to pee. I got to pee on my tree. It's my favorite thing. I love it. I love peeing on my tree. 9 o'clock. They put food in the bowl. I've got food and water, food and water. I love food and water, food and water. It's my favorite thing. I love it. 10.30, you know, mom gets the kids off to, to school. I got my belly rubbed. I got my belly rubbed. I got my belly rubbed. Oh, I love it. I love getting my belly rubbed. It's my favorite thing. Noon comes around. There's more food. There's a little walk around the neighborhood. A leash. There's a leash. We're going on a walk. We're going on a walk. I love going on walks. Walk, going on a walk is my favorite thing. Three o'clock rolls around. There's more, okay? I got brushed. Oh, I got an itch. I got an itch. Scratch it harder. Oh, I love it. I love getting brushed. Oh, it's my favorite thing. Five o'clock rolls around. Dad comes out, get another walk. I get two walks in one day. Later on that night at eight o'clock, nine o'clock, I get to get in bed with the people. That is my favorite thing. Okay, that's Lucky's mindset, and that's how he goes about his day. Take a look next at the cat. This, this is Mr. Snuggles. And I will now read an excerpt from Mr. Snuggles' diary. Day 983 of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me with small dangling objects. I am not amused. I dream only of escape. Okay, the, the underlying thought there for Lucky the dog is gratitude, joy. I mean, everything is my favorite thing. The underlying attitude or thought there in, in Mr. Snuggles is one of entitlement. And, and he feels, I'm trapped, I'm imprisoned. Here, here's how this works out in your life and my life. The way you think, the way you, uh, the way you think affects your life. In fact, the way you live your life is really a reflection of what you think. Proverbs puts it this way, as a man thinketh, so is he. As a man thinketh, so is he. So if the predominant flavors, if the predominant feelings in your life are negative, if they're dragging you down, it's worth digging. It's worth poking. It's worth looking at what's under the hood so that you can put new thoughts, God thoughts in your thinker so that you can be on a pathway to flourishing because the wrong thoughts, the wrong thoughts make you languish. Okay? Ultimately, Jesus had this to say. He said, you cannot fake your way through life. And, and this was an interchange with the, the Pharisees. He basically said this, what's on the inside eventually works its way out. You can't, you can't hide it. You can't fake your way through life. What you really believe and think is going to affect your emotions. It's going to affect your feelings. It's going to affect how you live. You can't fake it. It's in there. Okay. Now, what do you do, though, if you're dogged by negative thinker thoughts? What do you do if you're dogged by, by thoughts and emotions that are constantly causing you to languish? Well, I think the Apostle Paul has some good advice. And so we're going to turn to a section in Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, uh, and some advice from the Apostle Paul. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 9. In this section, Paul is telling us what the Spirit does, Okay. He's telling us what the Spirit does. And in chapter 8, he uses the word spirit or pneuma in the Greek 21 times in just one chapter. Spirit, 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 God's spirit just comes over and over again. He's wanting you to know what the Spirit does. And if I could summarize these four little verses, this is how I would summarize it. Paul is basically saying to you and me, 
the Spirit, God's Spirit, accomplishes the work of Jesus Christ in us so that we can enjoy life, so that we can enjoy the new spiritual life now, and so that we can enjoy the resurrection life later. God's Spirit is working in us to do that. So let's get into it, and we're going to start in verse 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. He's making a contrast between spirit and flesh. Spirit, of course, is God's Spirit. What's this flesh he's talking about? If you grew up in church, you might be thinking, well, flesh, he's talking about skin. (gasps) He's talking about sexual sin. No, that's not what flesh means when Paul uses that word. Uh, I want you to think Star Wars with me for a minute. Okay? When Paul uses the word flesh, he means a force or an influence over us. A force or an influence over us that controls and determines our thoughts, our will, our actions. And so whenever you read flesh in the book of Romans... He's not talking about skin. He's talking about an unseen force that wants to dominate you and dominate your thinking. And he says, you know what? That way leads to death, but we'll get into that. So look, uh, look at the next verse here, verse 6. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Here's where these two influences lead. If you're going to be, if you're a converted person, if you're a believer, if you're under the control of the Spirit, it leads to not just life, but he adds that word peace. That's good life. But if you're dominated by the flesh, the pathway that you're on leads to death and languishing. And you're like, well, duh. But he uses this uh, word control, control. In the NLT, it's control. In the NIV, it's set your mind. Set your mind. Set your mind. It's an interesting little phrase, set your mind. And, and let me plant an idea in your head so that you can get a grap, uh, grasp of what Paul's talking about. In your home, you have a thermostat on the wall somewhere. And when you go to that thermostat, you can dial it down and you can say, you know what, this winter, put on a sweater, baby. It's 63 degrees. That's what we're going to run it. It's 63 degrees. I don't care how cold you are. Or you can dial it up to 73, like what my mom has, okay? It's, you know, Florida inside, (laughs) okay? 73 degrees. When you do that, when you throw that knob, you're creating a target for the climate. And what Paul is saying about setting your mind is when you set your mind in the spirit, you're creating a target for the climate of your mind in which the spirit will operate and plant God thoughts and God thinking in your head. All right? And what he's not saying is this. A lot of times when, when someone is struggling with bad thoughts that recur over and over again or wrong thoughts, they'll just say to themselves, I just need to stop thinking those thoughts. Have you ever tried to stop thinking bad thoughts? It's really hard, if not impossible, isn't it? I mean, you just can't. I am not, I'm not going to think about the fact that I think that I am not smart. I'm not going to, no, I'm not going to, th- and then when you're not doing it, you're doing it. I mean, it's crazy, so you can't. What you, what, what, what you have to do if you're going to set your mind is you're going to have to introduce new thoughts, God thoughts, that over time will replace the bad thoughts that are in your head, okay? Look at verses 7 and 8. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. 
Here's why you don't want to let just, you know, non-God thoughts permeate because it's hostile to God and God's ways. He goes on and he says, it never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Neutrality here isn't possible, okay? The flesh mindset always leads to death. Why? Because it's hostile to God and God's ways. But I love the way he wraps it up, this little section, and he says it this way, verse 9. But you, love that, but you. Sometimes buts are really important in the Bible, and here's one of them, okay? You know, if you're, if you're, under, if you're living under the domination of the force of the, the flesh, it leads to death. And then he says, but you, but you Roman Christians, you could even insert, but you generations Christians, but you, you're not controlled by the sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember, those who don't have the Spirit of Christ living in them don't belong to Him at all. That's good news, the first part of this. You, you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And what Paul means here is under the influence of. And let me give you a practical way this plays out. Jenny sits me down, and she has one of those husband-wife conversations with me. I bring this up regularly so that you husbands know you're not alone, okay? This is my gift to you, okay? Just kidding. It's just that I need to change sometimes. Okay, so she sits me down, and, and she brings up something that I need to change and correct in our marriage, okay? Sometimes, initially, the thoughts that are in my head, they're not God thoughts. No, 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 no. They're, well, you suck too, those are the thoughts that are in my head that prop up right away. But then as she's talking, when I choose to walk in the spirit, I, I ask God, God, is there something you want me to hear? And oftentimes there is. And then when I turn that thought in my head and I open my life to God, then God, you know, takes what Jenny has said and God eyes it. And then it's what I need to hear. And all of a sudden, boom, I'm back in the flow of the Spirit again. And that's how it can work for you. So how how can we do this? How can we renew our mind? And at the end of Romans, in chapter 12, he says that exactly. He says, "Don't don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to renew your thinker and the thoughts that are in there. Okay, so let's walk that through. First of all, you got to monitor and assess what your thoughts and your thought life is. I mean, that's one practical thing that you got to do. You got to monitor and assess it. And here's the question that can help you do that. What direction do my thoughts typically take me? Okay, so if here's me, ah, hi, I'm me, I'm Max. Okay, where do my thoughts typically take me? John Ortberg summarizes one direction this way. He says, one trajectory they can take you is that you can feel what he calls deflated. A deflated mindset is characterized by me wanting to keep things hidden and concealed. A deflated mindset is characterized by me feeling shameful. I feel shame because of who I, am, who I think I am or what I've done in my past. Uh, I'm fearful. I'm fearful of what people will think of me if they find out. I'm fearful of what uh, of what people, what God thinks of me. Fear is a predominant thing in my life. Another thing that contributes to a deflated mindset is a sense of worthlessness. I'm really not worth anything. I'm nobody. I'm scum. Okay? That's, that's one mindset. Another trajectory is to an inflated mindset. 
An inflated mindset are those people that walk around and you, when you meet them, you say to your spouse or your coworker, man, they're cocky. They just are larger than life and when they come in, they really are the life of the party and they are all that. They just want you to acknowledge that they're all that. The inflated thing really, um, and sometimes it comes across they're very image conscious about what they wear or working out or their bodies. They have a feeling of superiority. Perfectionism can sometimes be here. If you do everything perfect, it's easy to look at others and go, well, you're certainly not perfect because I know I am and you're not. Okay. Okay. Perfectionism can contribute. But remember a lot of times with the inflated mindset, there's that double entendre. There's that double uh, thing where really it's insecurity that's the inside. What John Ortberg says you want to do is you want to have a real mindset. And a real mindset is one that's balanced beautifully between confidence I'm confident in who I am and who God is, but I'm also humble. It's that perfect balance between confidence and humility. Okay, so if you're not sure what your thoughts are or what your reoccurring thoughts are, um, do, a, do an experience sampling method. And if you're not a psychologist, here's what it is, and I can save you $100 an hour, and you can do this yourself, okay? All you do is you set your 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 uh, uh, phone or your watch to go off a certain number of times a day. And when it goes off, you jot down in a journal what your main thinking is and what your ma- main feelings are. And over the course of two or three or four weeks, you go back and you look at all your entries. And, if, and, and usually you can see some predominant flavors. And if you like the flavors, great. If you don't like the flavors, then you know, okay, I got some thinker thought rethinking that I need to do. Right? Well, how can you and I do that? How can you retrain your mind? I want to now give you like three practical things to do that. And practical thing number one is scripture intake. You know, some of you will go, oh, no, reading the Bible? Yes, reading the Bible. Because the Bible is actually God's thoughts. And if you want to get God's thoughts from these pages in here, you're going to have to listen to it or read it or intake it somehow. I don't even care if you use the Glow Bible or the Experience Bible, and then you can watch it. However you can intake God's Word, intake it. Because it will, uh, what, what it will do is it will put God thoughts in your mind. Um, and the wrong approach to Bible intake, by the way, is when you approach it this way, hey, um, God, what's the minimum I need to read so you're not mad at me? If, if Bible reading is a should, okay, what, what if, approach it this way, what can I feed my mind so that I can really live? What can I feed my mind so that I can flourish? There are actually things in this book that can help you flourish when you're thinking God's thoughts. And a very practical thing that I would challenge some of our younger people and older people to do is... I know we're everywhere now with little screens, medium-sized screens, big screens, and we're always putting stuff in our mind to entertain it. But occasionally and regularly, set those things down and do some Bible intake because you need God thoughts in your mind. And when you do that regularly and when you start memorizing some key truths, what happens is when you find yourself in a spot where your bad thoughts are overcoming you and those emotions come up, it gives the Holy Spirit a very practical tool to bring a God thought to your memory, and then it gives God an opportunity to give you a path of escape, so to speak, in that bad thought moment. Does this make sense? All right. Um, David, by the way, when he was a young man and tending sheep, David the shepherd, he, I have no doubt that he would mull Scripture over in his mind as he was tending sheep because he didn't have a Wii or a Nintendo DS. 
I mean, he had nothing to do when they're out there at night, okay? So that's what David would do. The second thing, practical thing, is to do meditation or what I like to call repetition. Jenny will do this. Uh, she's d- done this a lot lately with Joyce Meyer. She's uh, struggled a little bit in her teaching and feeling like, well, maybe I'm not the best teacher in the world, and, and I think she is. She's a dynamo teacher. But, but she's, for weeks now, put on Joyce Meyer um, sermons where Joyce is like, you are a woman of God. Say this with me. I'm a woman of God. And, you know, Jenny goes, I'm, I hear Joyce Meyer in the morning, okay? Joyce is just a channel for God to remind Jenny that God made Jenny, God didn't make junk, and God has gifted and talented Jenny in some ways that Jenny needs to walk in. That's all it is. And doing it repetitively helps her to repel the bad thoughts that help her, uh, that would cause her to go down a pathway of languishing. Um, the last thing is this, time with God. And, and we talked last week about figuring out what some of your sacred pathways are and, and, and really connecting God by using a sacred pathway. Um, but it's basically the idea of the Max Lucado book, The Wemmicks. I don't know if you're familiar with it. You Are Special. It's this title of the book. I know it's like Mr. Rogers like, but it's these wooden people called the Wemmicks. And when somebody gives an insult, you get a dot. If, if you do something spectacular and they compliment you, you get a star. But there's this one person, Lucia, and nothing sticks on her. And the reason nothing sticks on her is because she spends regular time with God. And she doesn't care what other people think. She only cares what God thinks. And that's where you and I want to be walking, okay? Um, last, last year, and here, here's a glimpse into my life and how this works. And you can think, as I'm talking about my struggle of last year, you can think of what maybe your big bad thought struggle is that goes on for you. Last year, I really struggled in the comparison game. I did the thing where I would compare myself to like famous preachers or different pastors, and, and, and that always ends up bad. When you compare yourself, it's never a good thing. Even if you compare yourself and you go, I'm better than them, that's still bad, <laughs> okay? Comparison stuff never works. And so I did that, and I, I had to battle feelings of defeatedness and worth, def, feeling deflated, feeling worthless. Um, and the funny thing is, even though I would come up with ideas and I would jot these ideas down, I would read them six months later in like Christianity Today. So I was thinking the same things they were, but that wasn't enough for for me, you know what did it? Regular Bible intake and coming across key truths of God. There were certain truths and certain promises of God that I had written down and that I would come back to over and over again. For me, one of them last year was uh, this passage in uh, Joshua where God tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. You're going you're gonna to do what I asked you to do. Just, you know, be strong and courageous. You're going to do it. So I would turn that over in my head. So regular intake of scripture, uh, re- repeating some key truths that were right where I needed, what, what I needed to hear from God, and then time with God, time out on the water, time with him connecting. And you know what? I don't, I'm not struggling the way I was last year. I'm just not. And if God can do that for me, a silly guy who's 42, he can do it for you. He really can. And so here's, here's how I want to wrap this up. If you feel deflated on an ongoing basis, if you really feel worthless, if those are things that you battle, wouldn't it be worth it this Christmas to have a measure of confidence? I mean, wouldn't that be worth the investment of some, of some God time this year and some focus and intentionality on your part? Imagine if at Christmas time, you, instead of feeling deflated, you felt confident. Confident in who you were, confident in who God was. Wouldn't that be awesome? 
Or what if, you, what if insecurity is something that's been dogging you of late and you, you, you got that twin thing that plays out in your life where you project bravado, but on the inside you really feel like, no, I'm not all that. What if by Christmas time you could just be you? You didn't have to project anything because you were confident in who the person that God made you and you were confident in who God was. Wouldn't that be a better thing? Of course it would. I want you to flourish this year. God wants you to flourish this year. If you're interested in talking about specific things about how to do this, shoot me an email this week. We're having a couple of more conversations you, uh, at the Maine and Maple Coffee House. There's an online assessment you can take. There's tools at your disposal. And there's, there's people like me and other people at church willing to have a conversation with you so that you can be on a path so that at the end of 2011, you can look back and you know what you can say? This year, I flourished. Wouldn't that be awesome?